We didn't know where we were going to end up. We just knew that we wanted to find a place that had a market that we found inspiring, had a good sense of community. So Athens actually became on our radar maybe year three into our four or five year search for land. As we started coming back and forth, Steve finally mentioned, and he's like, I really love Athens of all these places. Athens is just really resonating with me. Um, I knew the community, I knew the growers, I knew the customers. So then it made total sense. It had literally everything on our list of dream location. It had everything. Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 622. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. We're continuing the 10-week celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Slow Flowers podcast today. Our audio storytelling resonates with so many listeners, people like you, who love local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and who are joining in the Slow Flowers movement as members, supporters, and allies. We invite you to help us celebrate by sharing your stories of how the Slow Flowers podcast has been an inspiring companion to you over the years. Post or send us a video tagged hashtag Slow Flowers podcast and we may feature you in our Slow Flower social media feed. Check out our Instagram stories on Slow Flower Society um, on Instagram, which we will run for the next 10 weeks. You could win one of two priceless prizes. We'll select two winners among eligible entrants. One person will win a featured guest spot on a future episode of the Slow Flowers podcast, and a second person will win the chance to co-host an upcoming monthly Slow Flowers member meetup with me. We'll post the details on social media for you to follow along and participate. Today is the third Encore episode as our decade-long retrospective to highlight one episode from each year of the past decade brings the best of the Slow Flowers podcast to you. If you're a longtime listener, you might recognize these flower folks. If you're new to the Slow Flowers podcast, I'm excited to introduce you to them for the first time. Today, I'm happy to introduce Mandy and Steve O'Shea of Three Porch Farm in Comer, Georgia. They are longtime Slow Flowers members who first appeared 
in July 2016 on episode 254. And later, Mandy was a guest in April of 2020, early during the pandemic, when we featured a series called Stories of Resilience. Three Porch Farm is a small, sustainable flower farm dedicated to being the most sustainable flower shipping option in the U.S. Situated on nine acres, Three Porch Farm and Steve and Mandy work with their crew to grow beautiful blooms in a way that respects the land, their employees, and their community. Their mission is principles before profit. They believe that businesses have far greater impact on the world than individuals, and their goal has always been to use their business to affect as much good as possible. That's it. Be happy by doing good. It's a great mission. I'm so happy to share this encore of episode 254. Let's jump right in and meet Steve and Mandy. Welcome today, Mandy and Steve O'Shea of Three Porch Farm. Hi there. Hi. Hi. Well, you can probably tell we're, we're speaking over Skype, so we're all going to be, be on our best behavior and try not to talk over each other, but um, it happens. So uh, I want to thank you both for ending your farming day a little early because it's 4 o'clock your time in Georgia, right? Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been up? <laughs> uh, we got up at 6. But this actually isn't the end of the day. This is a, 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 sl- a slight interlude. Then we got to go make popsicles. This is your lunch break, right? <laughs> Wait, what did you say you have to go make? Popsicles. Okay. What's that about? Uh, we grow fruit and ra- Mandy raises bees. And we uh, early on decided we wanted to make popsicles since it's so hot in Georgia. And we, th- um, we blend the, the honey with our fruit to make pops without sugar without water it's just really kind of a healthy treat that we provide to the the market customers first thing oh that's that's oh that's so cool so um how long have you been doing that since we started so five years wow and is there a is there a particular name for these popsicles we call them honey pops oh i think i've seen this on your website okay oh now my my mouth's watering okay well (laughs) we got ahead of ourselves i'm gonna go back up and just um Thank you both for being on the podcast, and and I think we met in person um, at the ASCFG conference in Wilmington. That might be the only time we've ever met in person. Is that right? That's what I remember, yeah. Yep. And thank you for having us. We're really flattered to be a part of that. (laughs) Of course, and it's fun to reconnect and get an update. So uh, would one of you just give us a little bit of background on how Three Porch Farm came to be and kind of your journey of what inspired you to become flower farmers. Do you want to take a stab at that, Mandy? Um, <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll actually pass it on to Steve if that's okay. He's, yeah, okay. sure. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a okay. Um, <laughs> Mandy, uh, let's start this way. Mandy's been farming, I guess, since college. Um, so quite a while. She She's had a passion for being outside, for growing organically, just being hands in the dirt, with the fire ants and uh, just being out there. Um, and we got together 10 years ago and literally the first day we started dating on a road trip. I was helping her move across the country. And within that first day of being in the car together, we decided we were in love. We were probably going to get married and start <laughs> a farm together. And it was going to be solar powered and biofuel. And we were going to do natural building, grow organically and blah, blah, blah. And um, so this really uh, is just kind of the, the follow through of that. It took us, right. um, I guess, five years before mm-hmm. we saved up enough money to, um, uh, to start this farm. 
which we did in September of 2011. And um, yeah, it's been quite a quite a project, <laughs> quite a process. Um, where, where exactly are you in Georgia? We are in North Georgia, outside of Athens, in a small okay. town called Comer. Okay. So, what is your market then? Um, do you is Atlanta just completely outside your distribution circle? Is it more the Athens area? Uh, we do um, three farmers markets. We do an Athens on Saturday, an Atlanta on Saturday, and then another um, Athens market on Wednesdays. Um, we also do uh, floral or florist deliveries, um, which we're just kind of tapping into earlier in the week. And then when Dahlia's come in, we actually do a delivery to a wholesaler there in Atlanta. Wow. So how far, how far is it to Atlanta by miles or, or time? It's about an hour and a half to two hours um, one way. Yeah, that's a long day. I feel like two hours or maybe two and a half is the maximum farmer's should drive to deliver their flowers. It's just, otherwise it just takes such a bite out of your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's worth it though. Um, you know, Athens is pretty small and we love our Athens customers and, and market, but, uh, we're just, you know, we're growing a lot more than, um, than there is demand at this point in Athens. So, um, we're, we're pretty lucky that Atlanta is a only two hours away, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. So Mandy, you're, um, Steve's al- alluded to the fact that you're like a lifelong farmer. What? How did you get into farming, or did you grow up on a farm, or what was what was that door that opened that pulled you in? Um, I think that door, I the door that opened originally was horses, and just as a kid, I was just the barn kid, loved it, um, really uh, developed a good work ethic. Um, there at the barn. <laughs> mm-hmm. You didn't mind shoveling and hauling and didn't mind it. Loading. Loved yeah. it. Um, I didn't grow up watching TV. I was always outside. Uh, just it's really difficult for me to stay indoors. Um, <laughs> so then horses. As I as I got into high school, I got a little bit more into kind of the hippity dippity scene and natural foods and um, natural foods kind of became a part of my life. Definitely more into college and then my love for outdoors just kind of, I don't know, it just sort of spiraled into picking up plants that were almost dead and then being able to, to get them to flourish again. And mm-hmm. that sort of just pushed me to get into horticulture through college, um, went through horticulture and which I didn't learn anything about flowers or sustainability <laughs> through that, through that department. But it was all things that I learned on the side and um, I farmed all the way through college, and um, huh. so that was probably 2000, in maybe 2000, I started farming. Um, it, were you, like, in an ornamental horticulture program? Kind of. You know, it turns yeah. out that um, um, I'm like, uh, Armitage, Ellen Armitage, was mm-hmm. my professor. And oh. <laughs> throughout that whole time, I had no idea, and Dr. Durr, and I had no idea that Armitage even was specialty cut flowers. Um, so it's pretty interesting now that I'm, I'm turning to him and to his literature for things like cut flowers. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it, it's, it's always sort of like a floriculture is sort of an afterthought in horticulture. And, um, that was probably just one facet of Alan Armitage's research. So it, for some reason, wasn't the mainstream of that, of that program you were in. Yep. Now, now was that, um, is that University of Georgia at Athens? Is that the name of the school? Mm-hmm, it is. Okay. And are you a Georgia native? I am. 
Okay. And then, so what about you, Steve? Where's your, uh, where do you hail from? Uh, Northern California in the Bay Area, up in Sonoma County. Um, town. Wow. Yeah. Born in San Francisco, raised in Petaluma, spent most of my life in California. Oh my goodness. What a combination then. (laughs) Did you try farming in California? I did briefly, actually, after I met Mandy. I met her in 2003. I was on kind of a, um, eco-missionary sort of project. We converted, me and two buddies um, bought a school bus. I dropped out of uh, my master's program and sold everything I owned to buy the school bus and we converted to run on vegetable oil on a lark and just wanted to drive and kind of just see the face of the country and it became this thing where we started doing all sorts of presentations throughout the country and getting invited to schools, universities, festivals and started doing TV things and uh, along that trip about five months in I got connected to a friend of a friend um, with Mandy to do a presentation in Athens and we met there and we're just supposed to stay parked in front of her place for like a a day. We just all (laughs) hit it off. and stayed for like a week and found out that the South is not what I thought it was, or at least Athens is, is amazingly interesting and artistic and just culturally hip and just good people. Um, so Mandy took us out to her farm, and I, it was the first time I met a, a farmer in my peer group because I, I grew up in the mm-hmm. suburbs, and there mm-hmm. were some ranchers out there, old Italian ranchers, but um, I didn't know anybody my age who was actively farming and I was inspired by her and uh, got offered an internship back in California and immediately got off the bus and went to a 50-acre organic farm that had a 400-member CSA and started doing straw bale building of a little village to house the interns and I became the uh, the vegetable oil mechanic um, for that year for all the tractors and the delivery vehicles. The, the farm hosted a um, cooperative of I think 40 members they were all using vegetable oil to fuel their vehicles, and um, it was kind of it was kind of the hub for a lot of very eco-oriented things. And so I, that's where I cut my teeth in farming. But I didn't spend a lot of time in the field. It was more all the ancillary sort of things that come with farm life, right? Which all, all those essentials to keep the farm operating, but yeah. you weren't actually on the growing side of things. Yeah, for the most part. But that's where he learned that we, he never wanted to do a CSA. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that's never been a part of our, our equation. There's been many things, but CSA has never been one of them. So well, that's good. I mean, it's good to know what what you're good at and what your heart what makes your heart sing and and what you dread. And so I, I've been there. That's yeah. a, a lesson. I, you know, take the positive out of that negative. What that farm, Steve? Was that back in California or was it in Georgia? Yeah, it's in Sebastopol. It's called Laguna oh. Farm. It's a it's a great farm. Yeah. Say the name of it again. I cut you off. Laguna Farm. Okay. Is it still around? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So then when you guys you know, knew that you're going to be life partners in love and farming, um, which is kind of romantic, <laughs> um, that's when you decided to create a farm together in, back in, in the Athens area where yeah. Mandy had already been farming? Um, we had actually searched multiple places. We, we didn't know where we were going to end up. Uh, we just knew that we wanted to find a place that had a market. Um, that we found inspiring, um, had a good sense of community. So Athens actually became uh, sort of on our radar um, maybe year three into our four or five-year search for land. 
uh, as we started coming back and forth, Steve finally mentioned, you know, he's like, I really love Athens of all these places. Athens is just really resonating with me. And for me, I just never considered going back to Georgia. I don't really know why. And until he said that, and then it made total sense. And um, I knew the community. I knew the growers. I knew the customers. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, because you had been in Cal- out, out in Sebastopol as well? Oh, yeah, I was out in California with him for mm-hmm. a good five, six years. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So how did you go about um, finding land? Did you buy or are you renting? What's the scope of... Um what you have right now? Um, we, we initially, you know, got approved for a mortgage and we're searching in California. We both had full-time jobs and then second jobs on top of that trying to raise money for this and got approved for a decent loan. Um, and we're looking in California cause the economy had just collapsed and we thought that was our time to get a foreclosure. And <laughs> it was, it was brutal. Uh, we just mm. we're not in that that bracket that we could have afforded a piece of land in in the Bay Area of Northern California, anywhere close to a market where we could sell anything. So wow. we uh, after two years of going to places like three times a week, we we quit looking there and started checking out North Carolina and Athens and um, all sorts of places. Yeah. But I forget the initial question. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. Um- how how did you find the land? I mean, okay, I, you yes. must have had you must have had a wish list. Like, um, so we came, you sounds like. I'm sorry. We came. Yeah, we had our wish list. We we actually after years of looking had written down all the points of a property that we wanted, and you know, in general, all the places we'd seen up to that point. If it had five out of twenty of the things that we wanted, it was it was like the best that we had seen. So um, we came back to Athens for a wedding, a family wedding of Manny's. And, um, just what we were, we passed through Athens on the way to that and got in contact with a real estate agent and spent about an hour with him driving around. Didn't see anything we liked. And then back in California, Mandy popped on Craigslist and, um, so twice a day, every day, <clears throat> yeah. Craigslist, all of the real estate places, Wow. For a solid year and a half, I think, before we found this. And this place popped up. They had just been posted, I think, a half hour before. And um, she saw the pictures. We we called the agent who happened to be right down the road, came over and saw it, and said he had no idea why it was the price it was, why it hadn't already been bought up. Um, and we made an offer sight unseen and flew out three days later, and it was just amazing. It was so far above and beyond anything we wanted you know, we had seen before and placed offers on, and it had literally everything on our list of dream location. It had everything. Even the wow. even the five and a half claw foot bathtub that <laughs> save that, grace that your tall your tall husband can get in, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that just gives me the shivers. I mean, that's like kismet. You know, I believe in the universe taking care of you when you ask for what you want, and and. That's awesome. I love that story. So that was like 2010, 11 when you yeah, were doing that 2010 search. 2010 when mm-hmm. we found it, and 2011 by the time we bought it. And, and it was it was really great because the the guys who owned it before us, Steve instantly wrote them basically a love letter, um, saying that we would love and cherish everything that they had put into this land. Um, and he actually, one of the guys actually was a horticulturalist as well. The lady back behind us was horticulture department. So it kind of became this, it was the most connected I'd ever really felt to the horticulture department of UGA, but um, <laughs> it it was, they're super inspired too by what we've done with the property and yeah, we just kind of had this whole like lovey plant 
connection and um, yeah, it was they they poured a lot of themselves into this place. And, yeah, so. <clears throat> but they were they growing other crops, not flowers, or in the landscape. Uh, oh, okay. Well, not so much crops, but uh, they one of the guys was a professor at UGA. The other one had. Um, a, uh, he worked at the Botanical Gardens for about 20 years. And also oh. in a nursery off this property. And so a lot of the material that he landscaped over the course of 13 years around the uh, the house and the barn and everything is what the Botanical Gardens host in Athens. So we have just a beautiful landscape. And that that's kind of – that's one – ingredient of what kicked us really into doing uh, design work because there's so many beautiful and completely unique elements that we have here that you can't get from a wholesaler that Mandy just loved playing with and her arrangements. Um, and we realized really quickly that she had something, that we had something here that was uh, too good to pass up. So Wow. So what is the acreage uh, at Three Porch Farm? Eight point seven four one is the property, <laughs> and uh, love we, give or take. <laughs> what we have in cultivation is uh, it's probably about three and a half now. Okay, so it sounds like you have two parts. Then you've got, or maybe three, but you've got the the the, the kind of production area, which is more. Is it more in uh, field grown crops, or what? What kind of or do you have high, high tunnels, or what are your structures? So, um, your- yeah, so two acres kind of around the house is in uh, ornamental landscape. Uh, the field production is in the three and a half ish. Um, we've got two larger high tunnels, two small hoop houses, uh, which they were here on the property. The two smaller tunnels were on the property, um, and a propagation house was already on the property when we moved here. Oh my God. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, no wonder you jumped on that Craigslist ad. I mean, it's like the, those, you said before you had maybe hit five of your 20 yeah. boxes. This was, sounds like it was all of them almost. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even Definitely. the bamboo grove, like, yeah. Even the state, <laughs> state park next door. Just, yeah. It was, it was amazing. Um, and so, yeah. And then orchard, I think probably in fruit, um, we have, Roughly an acre, I think, of the three and a half acres is in fruit. Two and a half acres is in the flowers. Um, but we keep, you know, we keep thinking we're tapped out. And then uh, next thing you know, we, we take down a weedy elm tree. And now we have room for, you know, 500 Some- peonies or something. Yeah, so we're just, we're going to eat up every little square inch that we have of growing space. Um, that That's great. And then, yeah. So you're now in, is this your sixth season there? It's our fifth. Yeah, fifth. Okay. five and a half. We we came in towards the end of uh, a farm market season and did holiday wreaths. So this is our fifth and a half. Fifth and a half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just you just hit the ground running. But it, it's re- it's wonderful to hear that. Like you're pretty much creating income off of this property 12 months of the year or at least parts of all four seasons. Yeah, our season is um, – our first market is March 1st, and we go until the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is great. And so it sounds like both of you have unique um, kind of mis- personal passions and missions that you're still able to – or that you that the farm affords you. Like I, I remember reading on the website, Steve, that you're, you're very much using the vegetable oil – um, energy source for your farm equipment. Are you, is that true, or yeah, did I not, not okay. the equipment? All, all the vehicles. Um, oh, okay. Right now, we have three vehicles that have converted to run-on waste vegetable oil uh, that we pick up from the restaurants in Athens, and we'll we'll trade them flowers that 
we don't sell at a farmer's market. We collect their old grease that they're done frying with. And um, I, I built a little processing station that we we uh, filter everything through and then pour it in the vehicles. Um, and these are like your, your delivery trucks or yeah, vans? Yeah, truck, van. Um, we have a wagon. And we just got another van this year um, that I'm going to have to convert this winter. Uh, and then everything runs on the whole farm is solar power too. We've done two solar installations in the last few years. We're trying really hard to be a carbon neutral business as much as possible. Wow. I mean, there's some things that, you know, chainsaws and weed whackers, you have to use gas for those, but uh, we're trying to offset that by overproducing on solar and things of that nature. Yeah. I won't so let they- him convert. I won't let him convert the, the tractor to vegetable oil. <laughs> Why? Just cause you, you want a reliable, uh, machine or not reliable it just it's probably our most expensive um uh piece asset yeah also also, um there are certain there's certain components that go along with a, a diesel engine that makes a particular type of vehicle um more friendly to the conversion process and the tractors the ones that i've seen um Aren't aren't that friendly to the conversion process? So you got a twenty thousand dollar investment. That odds are really good that you're going to mess something up. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, but I but I I really applaud you. You guys are role models uh, for finding a way to live out your values. I mean, overproducing solar must mean that you then kind of bank it or use it to buy what you can't produce yourself. Um, is that how it works with the local utility agency or? Uh, it's kind of convoluted since we have two different setups. One actually does a buyback. The other one is just an offset. So if I overproduce on one of the systems, um, we, we get the good feeling of knowing that we provided electricity for other people nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If we overproduce on the other one, we get that good feeling. Plus we get a couple <laughs> bucks out of it. And so, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we actually have been getting paychecks these last few months from wow. our utility provider, which is a nice feeling. It's like residuals. Yeah. <laughs> so the um, the solar seems more widely adopted in flower farming that I've run across it, uh, in many different states and on on small and large farms. By what's the actual term for the vegetable uh, fuel? Is it? Well, okay. So a lot of people refer to it as biodiesel, but that's uh, slightly confused because with vegetable oil, there's two ways to utilize vegetable oil in uh, a diesel engine. Um, one is to mechanically thin it. The other is to chemically thin it. When you chemically thin vegetable oil, you, you have made biodiesel, and that can be used pretty much in any diesel vehicle. The other option is to alter your vehicle so that it has a second fuel system. That In that fuel system, you add heating components to heat the vegetable oil to thin it out mechanically. And then it'll run through your fuel system components, um, and uh, that people just call um, waste vegetable yeah, oil. Yeah, waste vegetable oil or straight vegetable oil. Mm-hmm. Is that what you guys are doing then? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Why do you think more people aren't uh, embracing this uh, green technology? Is it just because it's so complicated, and you've had to like teach yourself over the course yeah, of many years? Yeah, I, I would say that's it. I. I started doing it in 2003, and in the next few years, there was a there was a big upswell of um, lots of do-gooders that um, wanted to run on grease, and there was a lot of people who thought that they just could drive around cheaper um, on mm-hmm. 
fuel product. But um, we all found that it was a struggle. There's lots of things that go wrong if, if things aren't perfect. And um, it's a big learning curve. And yeah. not all vehicles like it. And so most people got tired of it or most, most of the guys, significant others, got tired of them breaking down <laughs> on the way to weddings and funerals and work. So I don't really know too many people who are doing it anymore. Um, yeah. A hundred or so people I started with, I, I don't know, honestly, anybody who's still doing it in that, that circle. Um, well, it's, it's very cool. It's part of your story. And, and I'm sure these partnerships you have with restaurants or just the, your customers – feel good about supporting you as a business just because you're going that extra that extra level to I think so. be carbon neutral. Yeah. Um and what what about oh cuz so that I was going to say that that sort of seems like your thing Steve and then uh although Mandy is obviously uh, in <laughs> benefiting from it. Mandy it the design you both have alluded to the design um facet of your business. Can we can we talk a little bit about when you started a separate design business and, and how that all evolved. Um, I, sure. I love your work and I, I see what both of you are posting and I'm just, you're, I, I'm now intrigued by this story of having this basically an arboretum and botanical garden at your fingertips. That explains a lot. So can you elaborate a little bit on the moonflower design story? Sure. Um, you know, we started the farm back when I was farming in Athens before we had, you know, the basic um, zinnias and celosias and, and things like that that would bring to market. And um, at that time, I was asked to do a wedding for for someone, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I said yes and um, figured it out. And so whenever we started the farm, we knew that uh, it was a potential component for us to do weddings and grow flowers, uh, Not maybe not as as much as it has become a part of it now. Uh, we also wanted... When we got here um, and started kind of piddling around with things and uh, realizing that, um, you know, it's kind of becoming a little bit all work, no play, mm-hmm. uh, we really wanted to implement a space where we could be creative. It's always been really important for me. I've always come home from whatever I've done and crafted or, you know, just just piddled. And I haven't really had that space uh, since we moved at the farm. But if I call it a design studio and start having to do weddings, I'm sort of forced to be creative. <laughs> so, so how how did what is the space? Do you have is this one of, one of the structures on your on your farm? Well, it's really it's more kind of- amorphous than it is <laughs> an actual studio. Um, up to this point, that is, I'm I'm halfway through uh, the construction of the actual tangible studio. The flower um, workshop. Yeah, it's a big going to be a beautiful place, lots of space to uh, do everything floral related. And I'm, I'm building two walk-ins uh, directly connected to it. So, um, Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's, wow. It's, yeah. We're really excited about it right now. We process all of our flowers and, in basically our certified kitchen um, that we, we have for our farm products. And it's, you know, you hear about all those folks who are in these tight spaces and in garages and whatnot. That's pretty much what we are doing at this point. Uh, we're so hot here. We can't really work outside unless it's really nice. Um, like November. Sure. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Did you said like, like November. <laughs> yeah. And we have a little flower shack. I call it the flower shack. And, and it's where, you know, I go and play if it's, you know, Sunday, pretty much moonflower Instagram is like my Sunday play day and, mm. and the flower shack and mm. it's my creative space. But in the summertime, it's, 
it's like 200 degrees in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't process any wedding flowers in that space. Yeah, we're in, uh, I guess, mid-June now. Yesterday, I think heating index was 105, and um, humidity was pretty high, too. So we're we're uh, we're Warm. cooking. We need we need a, a a more friendly space to to design with flowers. So, are you building an entire new structure? This flower studio. It sounds like it's got to be pretty sizable. They have two walk-in coolers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we planned it out, and then Mandy said, "Bigger." What if we made it bigger? And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." And then uh, started designing that. What if we made it bigger? So it kept growing, and now we finally hit a place that we're both. Uh, comfortable with, but it it has turned into the largest thing that I've built by myself before. So. Wow! So what are the what are the proportions or the dimensions? Um, that's a good question. Um, it is. I think. I mean, it's not gigantic for us. It's big, but yeah, it's it's. I think thirty two by twenty. Yeah, that's no, pretty sizable. We've been back Some- on the field so long that I um. I've completely got my head out of the construction game. I just walk by and look at it every day and go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to you soon. <laughs> so this is probably going to get completed in, in the fall. Yeah, in the fall. Okay, wow. Oh, I'm dying to see the photos of it. That is so exciting. Uh, and Mandy, it sounds like it's large enough where if you wanted to do weddings, um, not weddings, excuse me, but um, workshops or special gatherings that you would have some space inside or do you, do you yep. even want to do that? I mean, at this point, I'm not sure uh, about doing workshops, but um, it is something kind of in the back burner. Growing in the South is is definitely unique. Uh, we have a lot of people from the Southeast reach out to us. Uh, we have very different growing conditions. Um, we have different material to work with as well. So it, it kind of seems like there's, there's demand for it. Uh, we'll just kind of have to let it form organically, kind of like right. else. Right. Well, get it built, and then you can actually be more efficient for your um, wedding work, and, um, and also that, for that's, market, that's your priority. Yeah, also for market and such. I mean, right now, and that's kind of the big, the big push for this. It's not just for weddings. It's for processing all of our flowers. Uh, right now, um, it's we have to go kind of quite a distance from the field to our walk-in coolers. <clears throat> There's a lot of lifting up and down. Uh, so we really are trying to streamline the whole operation, get a lot closer to the field, less ups and downs with buckets. Just really, this building is going to make our whole process just so much more efficient. Wow. And, and, and- that's... Yeah, that's kind of how we're growing everything is, what, how are we going to do this in 20 years? <laughs> you know? We're not getting any younger. <laughs> we're not getting any right. Well, yeah, you're trying to be, make this business sustainable for yeah. your entire lives. That's exciting. And um, right now, you're, um, you said you're, you're having to haul flowers to this other space, which is your commercial kitchen where you make your um, Popsicles, but other products as well, it sounds like. We, do, we have two big walk-in coolers outside of the certified kitchen, but it's unhauling our flowers. We have a, a golf cart, which has been wonderful to have on the farm. Um, so we bring in flowers from the field with the cart, but then we have, to, we have this little boardwalk uh, that's, that's cute. Um, but then we have to <laughs> unload. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cute. Functional is definitely like overriding cute. <laughs> but, um, 
then we have to unload and, you know, walk, you know, 50, yeah. 70 feet, 50 feet. Yeah. You know, yeah. to unload each bucket and, and throughout a course a of a week, it's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. It's a lot of steps and a lot of, of movement that we might not need to make. Yeah, so. that's interesting. Do you have a crew or is it just the two of you? I mean, I can't imagine you're doing everything by yourself. It has been just the two of us really until this year. Last year we had a part-time guy, um, who was a friend and was a great worker and he made us realize that, Oh my God, help is really wonderful. And Manny's mom comes out and helps, um, with flowers. Um, she's, she's been on strawberry crew here and there, but, um, for the most part, we, we work long hours and have for a long time and it's kind of approaching burnout pretty severely. Mm -hmm. And this year, um, it's great guy asked if he could have a job with us. He'd been working at another organic farm for 13 years. And um, we decided to try him through the winter. And so much more productive, so much more efficient. There was a couple evenings here and there where we didn't have to keep working. Um, it just really kind of gave us great perspective on how the world could be if if we did hire people. We were always afraid we couldn't afford it or that they wouldn't do good enough. And um we found that we can be more productive and more efficient if we have at least one other person full time. So we've we've got him on staff, and we've got another one or two part time occasional people that come out this year, and it's it's been great. Yeah. Wow! That's, yeah, because you're not you're 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 going to then be in a situation where you're paying an employee, and so you're worried that that's affecting your profit. But mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe there's um, a point at which your your efficiency goes up or your productivity goes up so much that it absorbs that expense. Definitely. That's been the case with, with our full-time guy. He, he's great. He's absolutely great. So, and I think, um, you know, as we get new people that aren't as experienced, we just have to learn how to be good managers and good bosses and how to, how to train people to be good employees because a lot of people come out here with, um, with big ideas about what a farm is and then find out that it's, it's not that bucolic it's it's really hard and maybe don't necessarily have that innate work ethic that pushes them to to go as fast or be as efficient as we might need them to so that's on us we need to learn how to find the right people and and stay with them and train them how to be good employees i hear that so much uh so often my good friends diane and dennis from jellamold farm just have we've had this conversation so many times like you know you get the intern who basically thinks it's summer camp for flower lovers (laughs) and it's like wait a minute yeah (laughs) this isn't working yeah and i have to just just in case they're listening that's not the case with who they have working for them this summer (laughs) (laughs) i've seen her photos on instagram they look like happy wonderful people so yeah who work hard um so uh, back to the moonflower design you i remember having a hearing about your decision to add that as a separate brand or maybe you and i spoke about it because it was around the time that you um were we met up in wilmington i think (laughs) could you talk a little bit about that decision and i think it'll inspire some other people to consider how they present themselves as both farmers and designers in the same marketplace. Okay. Um, Excuse me. Yeah. So at the farmer's market, we sell straight bunches of flowers. We sell mixed bouquets. Those mixed bouquets are made with our, you know, our, um, assembly line approach, you know, there's no design to them. 
although we know so many people just take the sleeve off and stick them right to a vase. And we try to make it to where it's appealing for those that do that. Um, and so we had folks coming up to us asking about weddings, uh, wanting to do weddings with us because they wanted, we thought they thought we were the cheap option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically we, we didn't want to be the cheap option and I didn't want our design to be, to be influenced by our market bouquets or our market bouquets to sort of represent what our wedding work could do, if that makes right. sense. Right. Because the market bouquets, it's almost like there's just a recipe based on what you're harvesting that week. Exactly. There's okay. no, yeah. And, and that's not what I want Moonflower to be. I want it to be a little bit more curated or actually a lot more curated, mm-hmm. um, more adventurous, uh, a lot more unique material, uh, just, just very different than what the farmer's market is. So, it became, you know, people were coming to the farmer's market. Oh, do you do weddings? Yeah, we do weddings. Oh, can I get my bouquet to look just like that? And, <laughs> and that's nothing that, that I want to send out to the world as a wedding. And I mean, they're great. They're great market bouquets, but yeah, they're, they're everyday bouquets. Yeah, they're everyday bouquets. Um, and then having to explain to them that I'm not going to do a bouquet, a wedding bouquet for them for $12. Uh, it just became this ongoing conversation of, um, of that, of people wanting, sorry, Steve's plugging in the computer. I think we might die here in a second. Um, of people wanting cheap flowers because they, where they're a farm, they see that we have these bouquets that are cheap, that would totally satisfy them for, for their wedding. Um, sure. Yeah. So again, we wanted Moonflower to be be an artistic hub for us. As Part well. of it is managing perception. Um, you know, people see you as kind of grungy, low-end, dirty farmers. They're not going to expect a highly curated, <clears throat> beautiful, um, high-end. Yeah, like a couture product. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, Mandy's very humble, but she's incredibly talented. And she has been doing um, arrangements a lot longer than then we've been farming. She actually, that was part of her job, a job she did for a number of years was to um, harvest the, the farm-grown flowers and uh, whatever was in the landscape and make beautiful arrangements for a lot of events uh, and all these different um, homes and buildings that were at this mm-hmm. gorgeous ranch in, in California. So she she did this daily. And um, it's it just became apparent that we needed to do something to separate her design work from farmer's market stand. So Mm -hmm. we stopped advertising at the stand that we did wedding flowers and we, she really developed a website um, with some help that was more reflective of the actual feel that her flowers provide as opposed to just, Hey, we're a farm and we do flowers and we'd love to do your wedding because, um, not everybody that's looking to create the biggest, most important day of their life will look at a farm market website and go, yeah, they can, they can nail this. You know? So we wanted to make sure that they got that feeling. That's cool. So when was that, a couple of years ago that you kind of re, you, you layered on this sort of sister business? Or Yeah, it was. I don't really remember. And it's, it's, it's definitely been very organic. I mean, we, we don't advertise through anyone. It's, it's word of mouth. Um, it's just kind of, we've just sort of let it ride on its own at this point. Uh, 
And, and the good thing about having this separate identity is at the farmer's market, if people come up to us and say, do you do wedding flowers? I can easily just end the conversation by saying, yes, we do contact our design studio at the farm. And it sort of just creates this whole separate image. They're thinking it is a design studio at the farm instead of brilliant. just these buckets of flowers coming to them. It's um, brilliant. I love it. And yet you're still, um, it's still probably you're you're probably buying very buying in very little product from other sources you're you're really using what you grow and or harvest from your property in just a more inventive artistic stylized way right solely um from the farm yeah we don't oh, buy, wow. yeah we don't buy any product in it's all very much what's happening this week mm. you know we do color palettes for sure we we really talk color palettes we don't really talk specific flowers. Uh, it was very difficult at first whenever we, we started. We were, I think, the cheapest people in town. Um, but I also needed that. I needed to figure things out, too. Uh, yeah. And as we've learned and we've progressed, uh, our prices have increased. Um, our aesthetic has gotten better. Uh, we've sort of figured out who we are with Moonflower. Uh, and yeah, we're we're having folks come to us because of of who we are, because of our design aesthetic, not because they want cheaper farm flowers. Do you think they come to you um, both for the design and for the uniqueness that you are, you know, um, local and and Georgia grown um, as well, or is that sort of a, just a bonus? Yep, we we actually so we do. I know, like a lot of the farmer forests do buckets of flowers the a la carte, um, they call it, with just doing some of the personals, and then full design. And we've definitely seen that our full design brides are the ones who they're after our aesthetic. Um, and we have a lot of buckets that leave the farm every weekend pretty much um, through June, because that's when we first offer buckets to September. Mm-hmm. And those are the brides who who they want. Lo- I mean, not that our our full design doesn't want the local and sustainable flowers as well, but um, they're definitely a little bit more aesthetic driven and the bucket brides, they want the farm fresh. Sorry. That, that sounds, sounds bad. terrible. That sounds, sorry. The, the, She's just a bucket bride. <laughs> no, no, I like it. I, I totally get it. No. You know, I mean, they're the ones they're, they're excited to have what's in bloom right now. And they go and they put them in their bud vases or their Mason jars and they have a great time with them. Uh, That's so cool. So it's it's exciting that we can hit both of those marks and, and both of those price points. Uh, we don't you don't have to have a, a large budget to buy things from us. That's um, neat. Yeah, well, you can also come to the farmers market. We have brides come all the time that just you know they're they're not wanting a ton of flowers, but they'll come and they'll pick up that bouquet and and they'll make it their their bridal bouquet. Pick up the market bouquet and make it their bridal bouquet. Yeah. So it's not like you're preventing people from doing it. It's just you've you've shifted in the perception and the messaging to um, go more, be be more full service florist. Yeah, and so when they come to the to the market and they pick up that that mixed bouquet and they're, you know, going to use it as their bridal bouquet, and people ask where did you get that, they say Three Porch Farm. They don't mm. say Moonflower. Mm-hmm. And so that's got it. Yeah, it's really been very helpful for that. Uh, to be the case. So then people aren't thinking, oh, that's, that's what they do for weddings. They're, 
We allow them that's, to do what they wish with our flowers, but <laughs> that's, that's smart. So do you kind of have three um, channels then the, the farming and, and selling through the farmer's markets and the wholesale and all, and then the design and then the specialty food products. Is that sort of how your, your channels of income are generated or how does that balance out? Yep. That's yeah. Pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we sell, um, strawberries, blueberries, and we're getting into peaches and plums and such. Mm, Yum. We also, uh, we'll turn those into value-added products. We, we dabble in mushrooms, too. I used to do a little bit more than I do now, but um, we also turn our shiitakes, we, we dry those and, and uh, turn them into a couple different seasonings that we do. So um, as the years have gone on, the popsicles have remained pretty steady as a, a, a decent source of income, but the um, all the other value-added products we've done have kind of we've thinned them out to our our favorites, the ones that are the most bang for the buck, the customers like the most that don't, you know, that actually make a product pro- profit. Excuse me, as opposed to yeah. I mean, we found that a lot of the things that we were doing that we liked and our customers like were were costing us money, so we had to weed uh-huh. things out. Um, but the the flowers have really kind of taken over our booths. Um, yeah. yeah, and taking over your lives. I love it. <laughs> um, Steve, I was going to ask you if you do any get in on the design act at all. Do you? Are you pressed into service? And I bet you make a mean uh, boutonniere. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, I, I dabble. I would like to be more a part of it, but um, it there, there it seems to be when we have to go do an event that's like a fundraiser or something, and we're asked to do tons of arrangements in a very short period of time after two farmers markets that's when i get to shine um, <laughs> i get to show up just fly out of the van and, and she points me where and i get to put up trees and then you know put dahlias and this and that and and i enjoy it it's it's fun for me to kind of create on the spot like that without having to think too much about it and i find that i can get into sort of a creative flow and just keep looking at her every now and again to make sure i'm not doing something wrong but um <laughs> I do enjoy it. I don't know that I would enjoy doing an actual bridal, bridal bouquet. I think there's a lot more, a lot more writing on that. But um, the arrangements at weddings, occasionally, um, you know, the table arrangements, I'll get to help create those. And um, and it, these larger installations sound like that's yeah, your value. Like the large installations, that's fun. But <laughs> but it is, you know, it's it's more uh, few and far in between. I'm usually trying to pick up whatever she would normally be doing um, when she's doing that stuff. So I'm, I'm usually elsewhere. You're usually making, um, you know, vegetable fuel um, or something <laughs> crazy. <laughs> making market bouquets. <laughs> well, so um, you're you're really kind of, I guess, not a not old farmers, not super mature farmers, but you have this this big experience under your belts. Do you feel like you're kind of at the the point now where you've got it figured out? You've got you know five six years under your belts, and you're now you're sort of fine tuning and trying to. I, I, you've alluded to this a little bit. Like, I really appreciate you saying that there were things that you were making in your value added food business that were losing money, and you've learned how to wean yourself from that. You know, you, those darlings that you didn't want to let go of. I mean, that's <coughs> that's yeah. That takes a lot of. Well, you have to be really aware of where every, every penny goes and what the cost of goods are and. All those things. So it sounds like you're you're kind of in that mid range yeah. of fine tuning. When we when we first started, we we kind of shotgun sprayed. 
we did everything. We tried absolutely everything that we <laughs> thought we could possibly make a dollar off the land from. And we were and vegetable farmers. We weren't flower farmers. We started off five years ago as fruit and vegetables. With in flowers, but little, yeah, in small amounts. Smaller proportion. But. Oh, so you're more, you actually were more diversified. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah. you were all, all things to all people back then, probably. We diversified the heck out of it. And um, we found, uh, we we've since that first year, we've kind of, been distilling out the best of the best and i would say now we do feel like we've kind of hit a stride we kind of have our identity we know what works for us what works for our customers um everything is just more clear the direction ahead is less of a nebulous cloud and it's more of mm. a, a, a somewhat marked road and um we just uh yeah it, it feels it feels possible for the first time. It feels like we have a, yeah. a good sense of what we need to do to make this actually work. And, wow. and also, to you know, learning year five, and, and I've, I've known the weather of Georgia and, um, you know, insects and humidity, which equals disease and, and these things. And the first couple of years, it, it was so devastating to us. I mean, we were just, like, freaking out at this crop failure or this, that, and the other. And I feel like we've, we've definitely learned to just – sometimes things work out perfectly and sometimes they don't and it's there's always next season or I mean just we're able to let let some of these devastations roll a little Mm -hmm. bit easier off of our back um and and so I think that that's huge you know I mean every in the beginning it was just so and it was so intense and yeah we're we're able to to roll with it much better. Well, the first year we didn't know where the next meal was coming from, so it was, oh. it was more intense for a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think with with experience and years comes the realization that not everything's going to work out, and you kind of react for a minute, and then you realize, okay, I got to let that go, and then you you work on kind of mitigating as best you can and and going on to the next thing. But yeah, the South is not a friendly place for organic flower farming. Yeah, it must it must make uh, you know wine country in Sonoma look like oh. a piece of cake. Oh my God! Yeah, when they have water, yes. Yeah, I was like, when they have water, I would. Well, and that's a really good point. And I guess the other thing is you're you're creating kind of this whole beautiful new model in a part of the country that is underserved by, um, you know, yeah. kind of the the hip farmer florist mindset. And so you're, you're really, I think, able to shine in the marketplace. Yeah. It works. Get a lot of attention. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that said, there's, there's room for, for more growers here. I mean, it's, it's a lot of education that needs to happen as far as the florist. Um, Steve's really just doing a great job this year of just making the rounds, putting flowers into florist faces, um, dropping them off. Here you go. You know, because everyone's so stuck in their ways of just ordering flowers from wherever they order flowers from. Um, they're definitely not used to someone coming around with local blooms. They don't. He even said today, he's like, "It's amazing that some of these florists don't even know what flowers these are that I'm bringing." And these are some of the most commonly grown flowers in a garden around here. And I I agree. I mean, that as I come to this, you know, from being a garden writer, and I it used to just confuse the hell out of me to interview some you know hot LA florist for some design magazine, and they didn't even know the names of these flowers they were describing yeah. to me. Um, I always say that that gardeners are are better qualified to be florists uh, for that reason, mm-hmm. so or floral designers. So, yeah. um, 
good for you for kind of breaking through that that barrier and trying to get people. I mean, the flowers must kind of sell themselves. They're I can't imagine not wanting your what you grow at the, at the market. Yeah, uh, I mean we're we're really just at the very beginning of of reaching out to florists. So mm-hmm. yeah, you'll get there. I don't know that I deserve yeah. the kudos that she's she's giving me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes some of the florists are like, "Yeah, what do you got?" And then they see what's in the van and they gush and they're so excited. But some of the florists don't want to let me in the door. Uh, they're like, "No, no, no, we've got our wholesaler," or "No, we get we get tons of lisianthus from Ecuador. We don't you know, we don't even need to see them." I was like, "Okay, uh, yeah." So it's, you'll be and you want to say, "I'll be back." You'll be calling me. Yeah. Just yeah. matter <laughs> of time. You and when you see how long they hold up, then you'll want them again, and then they'll be out of season until next year when you finally decide you want them, and then you know. And that's that's, oh that's probably the the newest um, area that we're we're diving into a little bit more aggressively is is direct to uh, designers and um, to wholesalers. Predominantly, our, our largest chunk of our pie in terms of income is the farmers markets. We have. We have developed a, a pretty healthy following with the farmers markets in the last few years, and that's been the biggest chunk of our income. And then uh, weddings, I think, quite a ways behind that, and then a wholesale behind that. But this year, the wholesale is uh, picking up quite a bit as we turn out more product, and I have to move it, so I just throw it in the van and start driving. Um, that's great. Good thing you're not shy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not like the marketing part, and I thought I was the marketer, and then it turned out that he's just shines at it. Well, I just didn't know enough about the flowers to feel confident, and I don't like to kind of shine people on. So mm-hmm. until I started to develop a, a pretty good familiarity with a lot of the product, I didn't feel too comfortable selling it. So, well, now you're growing it, so you're the expert. <laughs> I'm far from an expert, but um, <laughs> do my best. Well, I have to compliment the two of you. I, I admire everything you've shared, and I, I don't want—I never want to be the person who's painting the picture of this romantic bucolic life because it, I know it's hard. And just your honesty and kind of for how forthcoming you've been about you know the building this business is just—I I appreciate it and I admire it, and I think the listeners will too because I think a lot of the listeners are your friends and peers. Um, but the florists listening need to you know, take note and appreciate how much goes into each stem that comes off of an American flower farm. And um, the quality is superior to anything you can get, you know, from a a shipped flower. So kudos to you. Thank you. I have to compliment you on one other thing. And it's fascinating. I'm not a big statistics, you know, geek or anything, but I um, recently signed up in order to track the, the the social media hits or whatever you call it for American Flowers Week, I signed up for this service that tells me every week who the most active people are on the hashtag Slow Flowers and American Flowers Week. And you guys, Three Porch Farm shows up every single week as the yes. most influential and the most active oh, wow. users of hashtag Slow Flowers. So... Thank you. Uh, That's me. Yeah. Well, thank you. It it means a lot to, you know, we don't, you know, some uh, farmer for um, flower farmer and slow flowers goes on every three porch post. I think it's, it's huge just to get that out there. Say the, say the three that you use again. I use um, uh, flower farmer and slow flowers is 
on every post. So wow. Well, I'm going to get some screen grabs of these reports and send them to you just so you know. <laughs> you're huh. really, you're, you're like missionaries. You're keep getting the word out. And, um, and you obviously have a community of, of loyal followers who, who follow you on Instagram. And I suppose this thing tracks Twitter, too. I don't know if you guys use Twitter, but Instagram is really where, where it's happening with, with fl- your, your Sunday flower photos that you mentioned. I love that. Um, it's anyway. It makes it, it means a lot to me that you're helping share that news, and um, it just wow. Numbers don't lie. It's like I'll have to I'll have to send you some of the the metrics on how influential you are. Oh well, good. I'm I'm really glad that that's that's out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, doing everything that you're doing to raise awareness about about the, the the flower movement in the United States, and and thank you for including us in. Um, in your interviews we're we're like i said earlier we're really flattered and honored to be a part of this we've listened to so many of them and been inspired and educated by uh you and the people you've been speaking with so we're oh thanks it's great it's a privilege and um let's do this let's um this is probably going to run sometime at the end of july so we'll i'll give you plenty of notice to gather photos together for me and um we'll be able to share those at the show notes at deborahprinzing.com as well as links to all your social places so people can um, follow along if they haven't and discover Three Porch Farm and Moonflower Design. And um, I will get to Georgia sometime soon, I promise. Come on down. Come in the fall. Don't (laughs) come right now. Fall Fall sounds great. Okay. Um, Anything else I didn't ask you that you want to make sure we include in this um, in this episode? You know, one thing that just came to mind kind of as we were chatting about like Instagram and such is that, you know, I follow new farmer, um, new flower farmers and, and, um, you see their post of, uh, you know, when something's not going right and, you know, this is hard and, and just the struggles that they're going through. And just, I think that little bit of advice is that just that every year gets better and better. Mm. Um, when you dial in your systems, it's just every year is such a learning experience and it pays off in the following year. And it's just, it's, you will get ahead. You will, you will figure it out. Um, and, and yeah, I think that that's not said a lot to, to these farmers. Right. No, I, that, that's really encouraging. You will get a little bit more sleep, uh, during the peak of season, that sort of thing. And just, yeah, you you won't always be up constantly walking the crops to see if everything is okay. Um, for I love it. Week, like I used to do. It, mm. Yeah, you get more and more sleep every year as far as worry goes, as far as more workload. That's a different scenario. But yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Oh, and I, I know, sorry, one more thing. I know that Mandy had said she wanted to mention earlier. When you asked how we became flower farmers, part of that answer that I neglected to say and she neglected to say earlier was that um, we we had, like I said, had flowers as part of what we did. But um, we went to an ASCFG conference in North Carolina a few years back, and Lisa Ziegler gave a speech. It was about an hour long, and by the end of it, we knew we uh, – wanted to get a tractor and with the bed shaper like she was talking about and uh we wanted to go predominantly flowers I mean, she really changed the scope of our farm just inspired the heck out of us because she was in a similar climate and talked about how she started out just with a walk behind tiller doing everything that we were doing and how much more efficient it was to do 
flowers the way she was doing it with a bed shaper and a tractor and that it paid for itself and etc. And we were... She was right on. Yeah, and we almost cried a little bit just from relief <laughs> that, yeah, that it could, could be done. And then the second part of that was Mandy went to a um, uh, design workshop with Jenny Love and Aaron Benzikin. Um, and the seasonal bouquet project? Yeah. The, yeah. Well, bo- both of the people that you've mentioned... Uh, Lisa and then uh, Aaron and Jenny, when they were doing that, we I was able to capture on this podcast. So it, I'm feeling I'm feeling very uh, affirmed that that you know these are the people that um, oh yeah it's inspire inspired you and now you're going to inspire other listeners too. So um, I'm just laughing because I remember Lisa giving me the video link of that tractor. I know mm-hmm. it's do, amazing. Do hickey. <laughs> I cried. I did. I got up and cried right in the middle of it and. Like called my dad and was like, "Look for us a tractor." <laughs> well, we we would. Uh, I think it, it took us. Um, it what took us two weeks to do one year, two to three weeks. Oh, like ridiculous! Twelve hour days, six days a week. Uh, when we got the bed shaper, it took five hours to do that same amount of work. Oh um, my god! So it. That's a testimonial. Too bad Lisa's not getting a cut of every one she needs to attachments. <laughs> That's why we had to throw her a shout out. <laughs> Great. Well, I, I'm really that, – that's really fun. And it's sort of that whole sense of community of, of paying it forward. And, um, you know, as you said, alluded to earlier, South, growing flowers in the southeast is not like anywhere else in the country. So there, there are lessons to be learned that mm-hmm. people – in my neck of the woods, don't even have to think about. So I did spend time at the Arnoskis in Austin last month. So I, I'm guessing Texas has a little bit of similarity to Athens, Georgia. Mm -hmm. So, um, got a, got a sense of that flavor and (laughs) (laughs) wow. All right. Well, we should wrap it up. We've gone for an hour. I normally cut the, my podcast off between 30 and 45 minutes, but I am in, lo- I'm in love with you guys. It just has been so much fun. And um, I look forward to, to getting this live and sharing it with everyone. So we'll, I'll just keep you posted on when that's going to run. Great. Thanks so that's much. Good. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. so much for joining me today. You'll want to check out all of the fun resources for flower farmers and gardeners at the beautiful Three Porch Farm website. From shopping for inspiring seed collections to joining the waiting list for hellebore plugs and mum cuttings. I'm so inspired by all that Three Porch Farm is doing as a diversified, sustainable flower farm. And you can find all the links in our show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com. Look for episode 622. And I'll be hosting an Instagram Live conversation today, August 9th, with Mandy and Steve. So check it out on Instagram at Slow Flowers Society. You'll find all of our Slow Flowers Podcast 10th anniversary live chats in the archives there. Our next thank you goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. It's hard to believe because we only recently wrapped up the 2023 Slow Flower Summit, but we are announcing our 2024 location details on August 15th. 
If you're already a member or a subscriber, you'll receive the announcement in your inbox. But you can also follow the link in today's show notes to add your name to the upcoming announcement list. I can't wait to share the news next week. And thank you to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. I love all this floral goodness, and I am so happy you joined me today. The Slow Flowers podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. And if you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.